guns and money. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. This week, I am joined by Dan Why? I'm just kidding. It is just Dan Lust. And this week, I'm joined again by Taryn Sharma. How's it going? I, I'm actually Mike Lawson. So Mike Lawson is also not here. It's just us. It's just us this week, my friend. We're getting a little giddy in the pre-recording, but, um, you know, it's a... Uh, We'll say it's the, the week between the Super Bowl. So we got a lot, a lot to break down on a number of levels. But before we get into it, uh, how's everything going? I mean, it's a busy week this week in, in, uh, in baseball, life, right? We got a lot of things going on. Yeah, big week. Had some uh, job interviews this week. Hoping oh, yeah. to get one of those. I'd like to make some money one day. You Well, when do we, when do we find out if you got it? Well, th- those are just screener interviews. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks and maybe we'll get a call back. Maybe we'll see. Potential employers, if you're listening, Taryn is a great guy, okay? He's a great guy. He's got great headphones on. He's got great Met sweatshirt on. He's just an all-around great guy in the appearance department, in the brains department. He's got it all. Taryn's got it. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Um, Are any of these interviews with any sports entities or they're just legal entities? No, just just firms. And uh, yeah, hopefully a, a good firm job, right? You like your firm job, don't you? I do. I was just telling you uh, that my firm job is a real, uh, I, I was going to say a real firm job, but I've had real firm jobs. It's, this is a, uh, my, my firm, which I haven't spoke about much on this podcast, is a, uh, is a little bit of litigation. There's a little bit of transactional, um, you know, and we have our sports component. I have, I cannot talk about them on the podcast for, for reasons that these cases are not yet public, but I have a, a handful and a decent uh, the crux of sports case that keep me busy. I have two interns uh, that uh, are law students at New York schools. Um, I'll shout them out in the podcast, Jason Morin over at Hofstra and Stephanie Weisenberger at New York Law School. Uh, people I've met through uh, this sports student sports law network. Uh, very bright individuals and they can attest to the fact that my tweet frequency has probably dropped recently because of uh, work, which is good. It is good to be busy, Taryn. It's a good lesson. Jason's a good dude. Shout out to Jason. No shout out to Stephanie. Stephanie's a good Stephanie's a good dude too. Yeah, I'm sure she's a good dude. I just haven't talked to her. I've now, talked to like, Jason. Before we like is a girl could be a good dude, right? Yeah. Yeah. What's My the, girlfriend, she's a good dude. Well, I'm not I, I mean, what's the equivalent? What's the female equivalent of dude? Dude. That's not a word. Yeah, that's a word. It's definitely not a word. Okay. Anyway, so uh, up with the pleasantries, let's get into the big, <laughs> so, um, the big news uh, this week uh, is uh, the, I guess, in, in yours and my world, we're both uh, big baseball fans. And uh, I, I grew up as a San Francisco Giants fan. People know that I'm a Bills fan. Rest in peace to the Buffalo Bills season. I wasn't going to mention it, but. I mean, I guess, well, let's, we'll talk some baseball. Then we'll, we, we have some football saved for the end that we'll, we'll get into. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I grew up as a San Francisco Giants fan. My dad was a New York Giants Willie Mays fan. And I'm a San Francisco Giants fan. Uh, Taryn worked for the Giants. I'm, I'm incredibly jealous. You worked for the baseball Giants. I worked for the football Giants. So between the two of right. are covered. So um, Complete each other. You you complete me, Taryn. You can complete my, <laughs> my sandwiches. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think, uh, you know, this, this week uh, we had the Hall of Fame votes that came back. Um, Hall of Fame... Votes are done uh, probably weeks ago, if not months ago. Um, but you need 75% of the ballot of baseball writers uh, to vote you into the Hall of Fame. So uh, we had three really big names on the ballot this year. 
guys, um, I think Barry Bonds, if any, if you asked during the course of Barry Bonds' career, would be an automatic Hall of Famer. Uh, Roger Clemens, automatic Hall of Famer. I, I never viewed Kurt Schilling as being an automatic Hall of Famer. I never viewed him like that. But uh, the way the votes came out, um, the, the nobody reached 75%. It's the first time in a number of years that that has not occurred. Um, and that no one has voted to the hall. Here, here's an order of percentages. Kurt Schilling received 70% of the vote, so he's 5% shy. Actually, I apologize, 71.1%. Barry Bonds received 618 and Roger Clemens 616 The next closest one is uh, Scott Rowland, 529 uh, Then Omar Vizquel, Billy Wagner, Todd Hilton. Keep a pin on the Omar Vizquel, Omar because I did want to ask you about that. So, okay. I think, you know, I feel I posted online that, um, you know, Barry Bonds, to me, when he was playing, was a first ballot Hall of Famer. He was going to get in. He set all the records in it. And it didn't really matter to me that there was a, some clout that he maybe was on steroids or not. In that era, he was the best uh, at his position. Or, and probably you could say the same about Roger Clemens, that he was just the best pitcher. Maybe you could say Pedro Martinez or Randy Johnson for different points, but Roger Clemens right up there. Now, let me let me turn it to you before, um, you know, we can get to dig into this. I mean, do you think any of those three names I just said, that those main three, Schilling, Bonds, and Clemens, are, or sh should 100% be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I mean, obviously Schilling had some great career moments. The Bloody Sock game is like an all-time baseball moment, the breaking of the curse of the Bambino. I'm with you that I, I didn't really think that he was a Hall of Famer, but his numbers are basically at the level of a lot of the other guys that are in the Hall of Fame. And if you use the, the Jaws metric or whatever it is to determine what you think a Hall of Famer is, I think that he's right there. It's at least arguable. The one that's not arguable, Barry Bonds deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He, I, it's a farce to not have Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame. He was the greatest baseball player that I ever saw at, in, in my youth. Uh, if you want to do it by statistics, his uh, wins above replacement – are at 162.8, which is just an absurd number. That means that Barry Bonds, over the length of his career, which was about 20 years, was worth 163 about more wins than a replacement level player. I have a statistic and, for you. I have a statistic. Yeah, go ahead. 762. Yeah, that's right. He, that is the hit, amount of home runs that he hit in his career. That's he a hit a ton of dingers. You don't even have to get advanced with with. He that. also hit 73 in a in a season. Like, I mean. I, I think it's it's wrong for him not to be there. I was just going to say that the average wins above replacement for left fielders that are in the Hall of Fame uh, is 65. So Barry Bonds is like, I don't know, I went to law school so that I wouldn't have to do math. What is that, like less than three, two and a half times? The you, number you of... lost me when you said the word math. I was just, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, just just for people that, that didn't grow up, I mean, I grew up just watching Giants games. Uh, Barry Bonds, the not even the '73 home run year, but a couple years after that, Barry Bonds had a 600 on base percentage, which is like absurd. So Bonds, by, by baseball terms, it wasn't just you know me and Taryn that are fawning over him. I, I remember and probably happened on multiple occasions, bases loaded, and they didn't. They, they didn't pitch to Barry. They would walk home a run instead of pitching, which is unheard of. That just doesn't happen. So anyway, we see all this, Barry Bonds, <laughs> you know, at the time was uh, by all means his top player. So why is Bonds not getting in? Uh, and this is why I told you to put a pin in Omar Vizquel. And I want you to also put a pin in Kurt Schilling. 
Barry Bonds is, and probably Roger Clemens, they're not getting in a, for a combination of two things. A, they were really icy to the media for however long, and they weren't the most friendly guys, but that's not why they're getting in. That's why they're not, that's not why they're not getting in. Um, why they're not getting in is this, you know, potential, uh, the fact that, that either one or both use steroids in some capacity or, or cheated in some type of way. So I think there's an unmistakable uh, conclusion that you have to draw that the baseball writers of America are, uh, you know, kind of policing morals and ethics at a certain point. Because by, by the numbers, like Bond should be in, Clement should be in, uh, maybe Schilling. I don't really know. I don't feel that strong about Schilling. So now I'm going to take that one step further. Okay. Uh, there was a story that came out. We didn't touch on the podcast last week. I just thought it was fascinating. Kurt Schilling, uh, for those that, you know, we don't like to mix sports and politics so much, but Kurt, Kurt Schilling is a big, uh, notable Republican. He's very outspoken. Uh, he doesn't have the most popular views and, and, you know, for all, all of mainstream America that he's very kind of, you know, he's very out there. Um, so I, I guess uh, there was some comment that Kurt Schilling kind of voiced uh, approval over the insurrection at the Capitol. And there was a report that came out that multiple writers that had voted for Kurt Schilling called the Baseball Hall of Fame to rescind their vote. So I don't know, I, you know, not that I'm agreeing or disagreeing with any comments that Kurt Schilling said. I'm just like, that's very odd that someone could do something off the field, right? And that could lose their Hall of Fame status. And then I started thinking, I'm like, well, Pete Rose didn't, you know, maybe on the field, right? He deserves his Hall of Fame nod, but he's not getting it because of he lied to Major League Baseball. He bet on baseball. Okay. The guy still has a ton of hits and is the all-time hits leader in Charlie Hustle and all that fun stuff, whatever World Series, the big red, big red machine had. And now one more, Taryn, I wanted to put a pin, and then I want your kind of collective thoughts. Omar Vizcal, right, he went down in the voting from between this year and last year. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I think, yeah, I want to say, yeah, he went down from 52.6% to 49.1%. It's a small margin, but usually the way that, that this works over the course of your 10 years on the ballot, you'll incrementally go up for no apparent reason, right? Because you're, you're retired for however many years. Nostalgia. No, but it's, you know, like, uh, this is the same type of thing. Like the writers kind of make you earn it, right? It's like, like when Tim Raines a couple of years ago, it's like, what did, what did to, like, Tim Raines do to make him more qualified between year one and year 10? Like politicking? Like, I don't, doesn't really make sense. But Omar Vizcal in between uh, these, you know, between this year and last year, Nothing really happened to go down except Taryn, right? He has some pretty uh, nasty allegations that that came out of, uh, against him. You know, we don't we don't need to get into the messiness, but again, it's pretty unmistakable that uh, baseball writers are policing uh, ethics, morals, you know, and off field stuff that has nothing to do with the game. What are your overall thoughts? I mean, we'll take it as from the legal perspective. I I feel like this is almost just like I don't know, just I don't think it's just. I don't think it's right. I think the whole thing is meant for baseball performance and not like this other stuff. I think it's a little bit ironic with Schilling because I think that a lot of people had already cooled on him because of that. I think he wore a shirt that said like tree noose journalist or something like that. And, and a lot of people had cooled on him already because of that. The fact is that it really is a bit of a popularity contest. Tim Raines, his candidacy was helped a lot by when Jonah Carey was well thought of. He, uh, he pushed to keep going. Yeah, he, he pushed Tim Raines' candidacy a lot, and he had a very public platform, and, and I think that that really did help Tim Raines get in. With Fiscal, yeah, obviously I think that those things are related, that those allegations resulted in his, what you said, like a 3% drop. The one that I think will be an interesting test case is uh, Big Poppy, David Ortiz. We were talking about big moments, great baseball moments. 
Ortiz had so many of them, whether it's like the bullpen cop, that home run that he hit against the Tigers or the back-to-back walk-offs against the Yankees. Uh, I mean, he, he just had uh, an amazing career. And then, you know, even like, I guess you would consider it an off the field, a civic leadership when he's like, this is our effing city after the, uh, after the Boston marathon bombings. Um, and he played nicely with the media. Now, the other side of that is that he was mentioned in the Mitchell report. He is known to have used steroids, performance enhancing drugs at some point. And it's those allegations because Barry Bonds never tested positive. It's those allegations that are keeping Barry Bonds out of the hall of fame. So is big poppy going to get in the hall of fame, even though we've known that he used steroids. So two, two points. Okay. The short answer is yes, probably. Um, now I didn't want to put this on Twitter because we know that Mike Piazza is I'm on Mike Piazza's radar for Twitter purposes. He doesn't listen to the podcast. I'm very confident of this. Mike Piazza, right? Never been connected to steroids uh, in some, maybe in some chances. Only the back knee thing. And then he used androgel when it was legal. Right. Like Barry Bonds, as far as I know, right? He never broke any active major league baseball rules. That's all ex post facto stuff that they've changed after the fact. Like, yeah. I don't like whatever. I mean, Mike Piazza was like, you know, I think he, there's a story that he was only drafted by the Dodgers as like a favor to someone's like, I think he was a friend of someone's something. Yep. Like he wasn't, wasn't even like highly thought of. He went from absolutely nothing to just being this power hitting, mashing catcher. And I don't know. I mean, like Brady Anderson once hit 50 homers and was never heard from again. Like, you know, did Brady Anderson like do steroids? Like, I don't know, probably like, but like, I don't know. Here's, here's my whole thing. Like with this era, right. Obviously Bill Marviscal stuff is separate. All the Curtis Schilling stuff is separate. I guess back to bonds. Like the point is, you know, as if I was a lawyer and I was making the argument and right, this, this would probably, Someone could sign me up for this. This would be pretty cool. If you could just make like, like you were arguing to the Supreme Court and you'd be arguing for Bond's candidacy. Like no one's going to tell me otherwise. Like unless baseball wants to like eradicate the era of steroids. Like Bonds was the best player of that era when, all, you know, who Greg Vaughn and Mo Vaughn, all the Vaughns were doing steroids and everyone was doing steroids and juicing up. Like Bonds was the best of that bunch. Uh, and obviously they're all allegations with, you know, Rafael Palmero and Sammy Sosa, but like that was the era. People were hitting a ton of home runs and Bonds was the best of it. So I don't know. I don't, I don't think you can just ban him from the hall of fame. I think it makes the hall of fame a joke. I think it does. Well, I, I agree with you. And I think that part of the reason why if Bonds used steroids, which I mean, we don't even really have to say if like his body changed in such a demonstrable way that it's very his likely that he used it was the size of two basketballs. Yeah. Three. Um, and, and he's back to normal now. So, but uh, I think that part of the reason why that happened is because, you know, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, these are guys that are not as talented as Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer before any of the steroid allegations. All his years in Pittsburgh, his early years with the Giants, those are worthy of being in the Hall of Fame, just those numbers. Now, I think that part of the reason why he used is that he saw these lesser guys getting more credit for their actions and he was tired of it, tired of not getting his due when he knew that he was better. Now, I think when, when it gets to that position, you have a choice. It's kind of like a fork in the road, right? Like, like Griffey, he knew that he wasn't staying healthy and, and that he was, that other guys were getting talked about more, but I don't think he used and Bonds made the decision that he was going to make the most out of his career. So I think that 
the writers are in a tough place and, and they need to figure out some more objective criteria, I think. I'm going to just correct one thing you said. I think Barry Bonds, um, obviously, uh, you know, he, he wanted to get be better and he saw these like lesser players like Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire being talked about. But also, I think Bonds thought to himself, you know what? My head is just too tiny. I need to do steroids and make my head five times as big. I think that's what he was thinking. Okay. I want to share a catch a cap with uh, Bruce Bochy instead of yeah. Bruce Bochy has big head. Um, doesn't that guy, who's the guy with the big head on the, on the Mets that wore that crazy, like helmet for a, a hat? Oh, Mr. Met. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, that's right. I didn't mean that, but that works too. Just, Is it, uh, Colome? Is that right? I think that's who it was, but. Uh, Alex Colome? You no, know, it's, it's better if it's Mr. Met. Let's just, let's keep it at Mr. Met. <laughs> Barry Bonds is going for Mr. Met level styles of that. He almost got there. He almost got there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so while while we're on the topic, I guess you know that was our, our first segment of Hall of Fame, which we wanted to hit. Um, but you know, natural, natural, you know, um, naturally talking about hitters getting performance enhancing, you know, substances. Um, you know, no one's really, I don't think, done the study about pitchers doing steroids, how much it could have helped them. But there is a, you know, there is a uh, we'll say a seedy underbelly of pitchers that they've been using foreign substances. So I came across a, a stat or not a stat, but a, an opinion from a Trevor Bauer, who we spoke about a couple episodes ago, who said that he believed that 70% of all pitchers in major league baseball nowadays were using some type of substance to doctor up the ball. And these comments came out uh, about a month uh, or so before a firing from the Los Angeles angels. So um, it's, it's an interesting story. I mean, uh, we'll give you guys a, a little bit of the background. So, um, Brian Harkins was a, uh, was he a locker room or clubhouse attendant? Is that? Is that yeah. That Bubba. He was a clubby. Yeah. Clubhouse. Yeah. Clubby for like, uh, like almost four decades, I think. So he wasn't the, the angels locker room attendant. He was the visiting clubhouse attendant. So when guys came for the visiting clubhouse, they would deal with uh, Brian Harkins, a.k.a. Bubba. And for purposes of story, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and forth with Bubba because that's more the CD underbelly. So Bubba would uh, make some type of concoction. Um, I'm going to call it go-go juice. I know, Taryn, you prefer a different name that the, the players have used. But this was basically a combination of, of rosin and whatever else goes into uh, – maybe some of these ingredients are also in a Subway sandwich at some point because um, we don't know what's in a Subway sandwich at, at this stage. But – Rosin, a little bit of tuna, a little bit of bread. Um, <laughs> and uh, this would doctor up the ball in some sense. It would help the pitchers. So, you know, as part of uh, these allegations, Bubba, Brian Bubba Harkins was actually fired from the Angels. And there was a uh, comments that came out by the Angels. He was fired because he was helping the visiting team. Unclear uh, in, in all seriousness, he was actually helping his own team. And maybe he was fired for giving the other team an advantage. In addition to just um, using an illegal substance in the ball, right? That shouldn't be done by an Angels employee, whether it's for the home team or the away team. Particularly egregious if it's for the away team. But that being said, Karen, I know um, we had fun talking about this offline. Uh, some big names that are being uh, tied to having allegations to to Mr. Bubba. Yeah, of course, uh, Garrett Cole is like the most endearing human being on the planet. He said, uh, hey, Bubba, can you help me out with this sticky situation? with a winky in a, face in a text that we have, that we have seen. And like, yeah. And that was part of the suit that was filed. And, uh, and so Bubba says that as a result of being fired, 
in such a public manner that he's been prevented from getting future employment and it cast him in a negative light. Yeah. So, I mean, this is essentially, and we've gone over this a couple of times, this is basically a defamation and a false light action. If he's being fired uh, and the allegation that was floated out there, right, is that he was, you know, what basically I just explained, he was helping the visiting team uh, and he was giving them an illegal substance to help perform against the home team, which I don't know, is pretty, pretty effing fireable, right? Like on a number <laughs> of levels. So if that's the press release that goes out, you file a lawsuit for defamation and false light. And uh, defamation, which you know, whoever just needs a quick refresher, it's a it's a false statement about someone that's made publicly and ends up harming their reputation in some way, shape, or form. If you are a public figure, you need to show actual malice that the person that made the statement knew it was false, um, but said it anyway. But here, right, like I don't know, right? The truth is an absolute defense. No one's told us that this is not true. So we had an update. Obviously, this came out, and there was different pictures attached to this. I saw Verlander's name was floating around out there connected to this in, in some way, shape, or form. All allegations. Um, but no one's told me that this isn't true. And, uh, you know, when, when Harkins is fighting this lawsuit, I, I, don't, I don't think he's – I mean, I don't know. You have no one's well, – I haven't seen the press report that this is not true, um, but he's just fighting that it's harmed his reputation. So he's getting a little desperate. What probably happened – I'm just – you know, spitballing here because I've, I've seen this on both sides of the legal end. Probably he threatened this defamation suit against the team. And his lawyer called up the team and said something along the lines of, I'm going to sue you for defamation unless you give me a, a job, which probably, you know, he probably didn't even say he's probably not that dumb, but some some form of money because he can't make any money. So he's desperate. He probably hired some lawyer. So, you know, I just again, spitballing here, but this is, uh, I would think, fairly likely what happened. The angel said, go ahead sue us. You can have your media fund that there's a story coming out about us. You're not going to win the case. So good luck with that. So we had this uh, news report come in on Monday uh, after hearing from January 21st, January 25th, uh, after oral argument by both sides, case dismissed. So uh, Mr. Harkins, uh, I don't know, truth is an absolute defense at the end of the day. And I imagine, I imagine that that's Probably what the angel said, listen, dude, like you were doctoring up the ball. You were given the sticky situation. You were known around the league as given the go-go juice and people were paying you underneath the table. Like what, what is your defense here other than like your feelings are hurt? I think that it's funny with baseball because the league sanctions some degree of messing with the balls, right? Like they get that special mud from the Delaware river and it, it's only in that one place and they buy it from the guy who owns that plot of land and they use it to rub up the ball in like a very special way. It's supposed to, you know, the magic mud or whatever. So it's like, they don't want you to go beyond that, I guess. But I, I think Bauer is maybe not all the way correct, but to some degree, I think lots of guys are using a little bit of something to get a little bit more tack on the ball. You want to get more grip on the ball whether it's raining or it's cold or something, you got to spin those baseballs, especially nowadays with spin rates being such a big uh, factor and, and guys getting so smart about what they can do with, uh, with the ball and, and changing the spin rate using weighted balls and to increase velocity. And, and I think that all those, all of those things are making them uh, maybe more likely to use something that's going to be able to give them a little bit of an advantage. So there's a quote, I mean, you brought up Bauer. I, I, we, you and I were talking this, uh, talking about this offline, but um, Bauer has this crazy loaded comment from a February 12th uh, article to the Players' Tribune. And he goes, he, he said that comment, I would guess 70% of the pitchers in the league 
use some sort of technically illegal substance on the ball. Okay. Interesting. 70% of pitchers are using a technically illegal substance. Interesting. Okay. What's going on in baseball now is up there with the Black Sox scandal, and it will be talked about forever, more so than steroids. Well, that's a year ago. No one is talking about this, right? Like, I've not heard of a sniff. Probably some of that's from COVID the situation at this past year is just, you know, no, no one's thinking about it. But this is Trevor Bauer, a very high-level pitcher in all of baseball, um, who has been very outspoken about how he thought that the uh, Astros pitchers were also cheating in some way, shape, or form. It doesn't take rocket science to figure out what allegations Trevor Bauer is likely making against the Houston Astros. Now, the reason I, I want, you know, we wanted to put this topic second 70% of the pitchers in the league use some sort of technically illegal substance on the ball. Are we going to ban the, this era of pitchers? Like that, what Trevor Bauer is saying is it's not that far-fetched from this conclusion. Do we ban the, the, the you know, 15 years back, 15 years short, all this entire generation of pitchers? Is that like going to be on the table? Like, I mean, if you believe Bauer, right, that has to be somewhat in consideration as crazy as it sounds. Yeah, every era of baseball is going to have something, right? Like there was a certain period before Jackie Robinson that everyone couldn't play the game. So were those people kept out because everyone couldn't play the game? They weren't playing against the best. Right. That's my argument on bonds, and no one's going to convince me otherwise. If you're the best of a particular era, be it the cheating era, be it the era where nobody watched, be it the era where like there were no fences in the outfield, so people would just like hit the ball like 500 yards, like, you know, 500 feet. Maybe 500 yards, maybe. I don't know how far a ground ball will go that far, but yeah, I, um, <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, the, but the pur- purpose of this lawsuit, you, you know, for defamation purposes, you can, you can, uh, you can say anything bad about someone if it's true, right? Like, there's no, there's no issue at the end of the day. So the other thing about defamation that, that people always have to be mindful of, sometimes you can make um, an opinion, right? You could just say like, so Taryn, you know, we can curse on the podcast because, you know, it's fine, but you could say, you know, Taryn, if you wanted to say Dan Lust, he's a scumbag, that guy. Like, I don't really know. Is that cursing? It's like quasi-cursing. But (laughs) but scumbag is kind of just an opinion, right? I don't don't even know what that means. I'm just like a bad guy. But if you said that uh, Dan Lust stole money from my child's piggy bank in this bizarre scenario, um, that is factual-based. So that he was fired because he was a visiting clubhouse attendant and helped other people doctor up the ball. I don't know. It's a pretty factual. So you'd think the case, if the case, you know, there was any colorable truth to it, um, that's a pretty effective defense. The case was thrown out literally less than it was like the hearing was on a Thursday and the case was dismissed on a Monday. So whatever this was a slam dunk case for the angels, it's, it's unheard of really to get a case dismissed that quickly. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, yeah, Bubba was almost certainly down bad because if he wasn't blackballed by the league before, taking a team to court and airing dirty laundry about players will certainly do it. Speaking of blackballed, how's your, how's your girl Gina Ford doing? Uh, I think she's still looking for Zion's fake ID. I, I think so. I think Gina Ford is now uh, blackballed from the agency world. Uh, and we're talking about uh, the adversary to Zion Williamson in the trilogy case. So Anybody is a longtime listener of the uh, the podcast. This would have been a great uh, topic, and we'll bring Dan on again on our next episode when Dan, uh, you know, uh, comes back from sunny Siberia at some point in time. But um, you know, we've spoke a lot about the Zion case. Uh, Taryn, uh, you have an affiliation to Duke, so we're gonna let you do um, some background on it. But yeah, oh, we have a Zion Williamson jersey being shown. Is that is, there, is that stitched on or is that ironed on? 
Oh yeah, that's stitched on. That is once they leave and they can make money off of it, they can uh, they can sell is, these. So that is like I got a, this for my birthday. That is like a triple digit value jersey. That's like an hundred dollar jersey right there. <laughs> um, so, very very. Is that a oh? Is that a Duke sweatshirt or a Met sweatshirt? It's a Met sweatshirt. Okay, I thought so. I saw the orange. Okay. So yeah. Anyway, so the the, the big news on uh, on Zion. I'll just give a quick background. Zion, I want to or and Taryn, I want Taryn, I want your thoughts. Obviously, with with you your close connection to uh, Zion. Obviously, well, I'll let you I'll let you tell the story. But you know, essentially, you know, this is the case that we've been talking about for a while. That Zion's defense always in this case was that North Carolina laws, amateur laws, protected him in this instance. And this was the advice that was given to him once upon a time. Allegedly, you know, we'll say we're paraphrasing, but when he signed with CAA, someone in their legal department basically said, hey, go and, uh, and use this exception under North Carolina law that allows you to avoid this marketing deal that you signed with Gina Ford. Zion, listen, we know you signed this lifetime marketing deal with Gina Ford and you think you're kind of screwed. Um, but listen, we, we researched North Carolina law and it basically says if you're an amateur and not a professional athlete at the time you signed a deal, that is voidable and you have the option to void it. So that's what we're going to tell you to do. Just void this contract to say it was, it was improperly done. Gina Ford for the longest time had tried to invent new law and essentially say Zion was incapable of taking advantage of this North Carolina law that would help amateur athletes because he was paid some amount of money prior to attending Duke. So the second he accepted that money prior to attending Duke, that he lost any type of uh, amateur status for purposes of that law. All smoke, all speculations. There was never any evidence, as far as I've seen, that he was actually paid. You know, a lot of, uh, well, we'll say, a decent amount of smoke from Kansas and uh, whatever schools were talking about potentially paying uh, Zion's father and all that stuff, but uh, no actual exchange of money. And why would he need a bag of money to attend the prestigious Duke University? Right? That's right. So, what what are your thoughts overall on on the decision, Zion, and maybe how you came to find this lovely podcast? Yeah, so uh, I'll start with that. Uh, I found this podcast because I was looking into the Zion case, and I didn't really see very many people breaking down the case until I saw you and Dan Wallach doing it. So I'll always be thankful for Gina Ford for bringing all of us together so that we could have the opportunity to have these great discussions. I'm doing a happy and, dance uh, on my end, but go ahead. No that's right. It's a great dance. Yeah. It's a great dance. And uh I could have also said if she wasn't looking for his fake ID, she could be looking for that Eastern European bagman that apparently existed. I mean, like the number of errors that uh, that Gina Ford and her lawyer uh, Willie Gary made over the span of this lawsuit are just like unbelievable. Um, subpoenaing the dentist. Uh, when they were trying to subpoena the NCAA and, you know, at, at a certain point they were trying to get coach K and other Duke university officials, Zion, Zion's parents, Zion's agents under subpoena so that they could do a deposition. And, you know, obviously they weren't ultimately able to do that. They made too many errors and they really pushed the court. Another interesting thing that happened with the court was that the judge's son in Florida was tied to the case. So the judge's son's firm was representing a guy that had a vested interest in this case being decided for Gina Ford. And uh, so he had to recuse himself. Ultimately, the Florida court uh, is not the one that made the decision, right? 
uh, I believe, I believe it was North Carolina court, but don't quote me on that. Yeah. And the North Carolina court uh, then held what Zion was arguing, which was that once a player appears for an institution, even if they, you know, accepted impermissible benefits, which is not accurate in Zion's case, so far as we know, that once they appear, then they have student eligibility, student athlete eligibility, and then they're covered under the UAAA, which, uh, which you discussed earlier. Of all things, right, and I, we kind of glossed over it, but I, I tried to touch, it, uh, touch upon it on LinkedIn. This was a really unfavorable contract that Zion signed with, it, with really an unproven agent. She had done some work for Usain Bolt back in the day, but completely unproven in the basketball world. Um, you know, I had done a, a, I'll post a link, but I, I did the podcast, uh, this is a podcast called The Source Podcast. It's a gambling podcast, but they wanted my thoughts on, you know, the future of college sports holds in terms of, you know, um, you know, agents involvement and paying college athletes. Like this, if anything, is a great example as to why athletes should be allowed to consult with agents, financial professionals, and put everything out in the open. Because Zion, who's at Duke, right? This would never happen under Krzyzewski's watch if, if he was aware of what was going on. Zion could have, in this world, like somebody convinced me that this is a bad world. Gina Ford approaches him, right, and says, hey, I want to give you this lifetime marketing deal. I'm the greatest. I helped Usain Bolt run a little bit faster or whatever, you know, <laughs> voodoo she pulled on Usain Bolt. And, uh, you know, he goes, can you take a look at this, coach? I just want to see if it looks okay. And in this world, it's legal to talk to agents and whatnot. Krzyzewski would have looked at him, or anybody with half a brain would have looked at it. You, me, again, maybe even people with a quarter of a brain, okay? Office of the general counsel at Duke. Office of the general, they, they're probably pretty smart. They probably have like yeah. three quarters of a brain. But somebody yeah. would have thrown this out in a, in a second. So the fact that the seedy underbelly of paying college athletes and doing this, I mean, obviously you don't want to tell someone that they can break the rules, but we've had a hundred years of college basketball, college football, like this stuff happens, right? Just like people have been betting on sports for hundreds of years and it's only been legal for a couple of years. That's not a coincidence. So um, yeah, I, I think you put this stuff out in the open, you know, Dan Wallach, I'm sure would be in support of this, but like the world of sports betting is a lot cleaner and safer than it was 10 years ago. And it's because it's out in the open, same with the cannabis industry, same with any number of things. Once they're out in the open, like all the bad players go away because they go out of business because would I rather get my legs broken or would I just like deal with like drafting? So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think this is a really good lesson for, for anyone to learn. Zion, who's a, you know, while we're, while you and I on the podcast, I get a notification, Zion, 32 points in 32 minutes. So He's guy's just destroying the wizards right now. Guy is a, is an absolute stud and um, you know, nobody's giving him advice at, at that level, just his parents and they had to keep it a secret. So it's, it's a shame, but good news. He's out of the deal and uh, he can live his life as a professional and leave Gina Ford in the dust, just like Usain Bolt did to his opponents. (laughs) Also just a lesson in terms of double checking the legal content that you're submitting, right? Like all the errors that they made were totally preventable and they distracted from whatever their arguments about the law were. And, uh, and I think that that really hurt their case. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I, I think it's such an interesting case. It's one that, uh, you know, we have, we have a handful of sports stories, maybe, you know, probably double digits a year that, that kind of cross over into the mainstream. And I know just, I can just see in my likes people that are, are not, you know, big sports law nuts. They're interested in Zion. They were looking at, looking up for Zion. Um, I think the only people that were rooting against Zion were probably Tar Heels. 
I think. Um, or Kentucky was, fans. Yeah. One of the two. Those are the only two that in, when we were going really hard on the Zion stuff when the story first came out, people were dropping some mean replies. Oh, I didn't mean to bring this up on the podcast. I got one of the meanest replies to me on Twitter yesterday. Do you know which one I'm talking about? No. I wrote, I wrote a pretty harmless post. I said, Barry Bonds is the best player of his era. And, you know, you should allow him to be in the Hall of Fame. He's the best player of his era. Dead Bull era, steroid era. If you're the best of your era, I want you in the Hall of Fame. So someone writes back, I'm going to paraphrase, but you're an idiot, but don't worry. It's not your fault because you were probably raised by idiots and you don't know any better. Like, first of all, first of all, why did you, why did you go on Twitter to tell me that? It's so mean. Like, it's so, it is. Listen, I, I, I can laugh at that. I was telling my wife, like, <laughs> tell, over breakfast this morning, I'm like, by the way, this guy just called me an idiot and called my entire family idiots. Like, no big deal. Like, why does that person have to have an account? Like, why did, why even have Twitter just to contribute that to the conversation? <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, like, that's, that's really mean. We're going to cancel them. Name with 15 numbers after it. No, he was like a real person. He didn't. Oh, wow. He wasn't even like an egg. So... Listen, I, I fight back to trolls on Twitter. I've had the people that hate Nebraska troll back at me, but I'm like, for whatever reason, that was a mean comment raised by a family of idiots. So if you want to get to me, tell me I'm raised by a family of idiots because, you know. Speaking know. of which, real quick, uh, three offensive players transferring from Nebraska this week. You worried about your, your coach there? One of which is Luke McCaffrey. So, um, you know, uh, we'll say Luke didn't have the best uh, impression in a, in a short stint with the team, but yeah, I don't know. It's this transfer portal. I mean, I, I kind of have to, I hate, I hate to say it, but I'm all about uh, player empowerment, athlete empowerment, you know, me too. So yeah. guys want to transfer, you know, so be it. Nebraska will be stronger and they don't need those guys anyway, because they're not team players. If they want to leave. Okay. <laughs> don't know what's going on. Um, okay. What a Homer. Um, listen, I, I, at this point, like I, I'm in on Nebraska, Nebraska volleyball, Nebraska football, Nebraska basketball. <laughs> All the Nebraska. I even have a Nebraska colored shirt on right now. This is not the shirt I got from from my Cornhusker friends, but um, it is another red shirt. Okay, let us uh, move on to uh, the football segment of, of of this podcast. We'll talk a little bit of Super Bowl. Uh, Taryn, you want to break us break uh, the Brett Bielema, New England Patriots, Bill Belichick, Arkansas Razorback situation down? Yeah. So this is sort of coming to a head, right? Uh, this case, which has been going on for some time now. Uh, at least since last year, Brett Bielema, who was uh, just hired as the Illinois coach, he's from Illinois. He coached at Wisconsin, then left Wisconsin in 2013, I believe, to go coach at the University of Arkansas. Uh, woo pig suey. And uh, at Arkansas, he was not that successful. And uh, when they paid him to go away, the Razorback Foundation agreed to pay him $12 million dollars. Uh, that $12 million included, uh, we discussed this last week with Jeremy Pruitt, a mitigation clause. So this mitigation clause basically kicked in beyond $150,000 annual salary that if Brett Bielema took a job that paid more than that, he would that amount would be deducted from the uh, $12 million. So Brett Bielema says Razorback Foundation still owes him $7 million. Now, in that uh, time, after he left Arkansas, he uh, is represented by the same agent as possibly the greatest coach of all time, Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. So he took a job with New England. Initially, he was a draft consultant, which paid $25,000. Uh, then he was a special assistant to Bill Belichick, 
which was $100,000. Both those jobs are below the $150,000 threshold that we talked about. And then finally, he became an assistant coach for $250,000. Now, the foundation maintains that Brett Bilema, his agent, and Bill Belichick conspired to keep his salary so low that that mitigation clause would not kick in. And Brett Bilema, who is represented by friend of the pod, Tom Mars, and, and he says that uh, obviously that's not true, that the Patriots paid him more than they really had to. And, um, and, and so what does that say if you're trying to get uh, a dragon organization into court for uh, hiring a coach that is getting another opportunity after they've been fired somewhere else. And obviously new England is really well known for this, right? Like they just hired Doug Marone and Greg Schiano had been there briefly. So this is uh, this is something that Bill Belichick does. It's something that Nick Saban does. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think we're heading towards a battle in court. There's been a, uh, an attempt by the Razorback foundation to amend their complaint. Uh, Dan, do you have any, uh, experience trying to amend a complaint and does that typically go over well this is so funny you say that because because uh i was actually just dealing with this with a client who asked me that today um i won't mention any names but there's a couple times you can you can do it so you can amend as of right uh and that's done you know i think I'm not sure exactly what depends on the jurisdiction but you can do it uh, within a certain amount of days of filing that initial pleading. So it's basically like a, hey, mea culpa, let me bring that thing back a little bit and then I'll fix it. Um, or uh, there's motions uh, that you'd have to file if you do it later down in the case. You'd have to basically show a good faith basis as to why you didn't do it initially. So in my case, which shall remain nameless, um, my clients are like, like we, we took over the case from somebody else and they're like, well, our first attorney messed up. And we're about, we're about to get to the deposition phase. So we're a couple months in at this point. Um, and uh, they go, actually had the conversation with them today. Can we, can we amend the caption to put, they want to personally name somebody because uh, it's a long story, but they were personally named in the complaint with their company. And when their employee, uh, when their old attorney filed cross claims, which he, you know, he or filed his counterclaims or it's, you know, whatever. But no need to get into the specifics, but um they uh, they only uh, sued the company. They could have brought in and, and done a, a third party caption against the uh, you know the guy's company or the guy the guy and his company, but they just basically uh, countersued the company. So you know, uh, long long story short, the only the only individuals that are in the case are my clients, and they're saying like if we're you know potentially personally liable, we should make the other guy liable. But nothing has changed in the case to make this happen. So. Potentially, get through, once you get to the point of depositions, you could change the caption, all that fun stuff. But, um, turn, you said something interesting. So, I want to, uh, I know you, I don't know if you meant to say it on purpose, but you said the New England Patriots uh, have a habit of hiring uh, former college coaches or head coaches and putting them on their staff, right? Yeah. Um, do you, do the Patriots have a history of being accused of fraud? <laughs> I think that that's unfair. I just, just a question. They, you know, they've had certain instances, gaming the rules or whatever you may call it. Now, what if I told you that the Arkansas Razorbacks are alleging <laughs> the that the Arkansas Razorbacks, the Woo Pig Suey, whatever you just said, the Woo Pig, yeah. part, okay, <laughs> they're alleging that Bill Belichick himself, Mr. Fraudster, 
facilitated Bielema's fraud against the University of Arkansas. What if I told you that? Is that something uh, that would uh, change your opinion on Bill Belichick? I, I think that you're trying to defame Bill Belichick, who's the greatest NFL coach of all time. Am I trying to defame Bill Belichick or am I just stating what Arkansas is saying about Bill Belichick? And I don't. Well, it is, it is what they're saying. Now, so listen, uh, you, you make a comment, which I, I saw. So, our, I think, friend of the show, Michael McCann, is a friend of Dan Walks. They co host a, a uh, not co host, they co teach a class together at University of New Hampshire. Um, but when you, when you put the words Bill Belichick, fraud, and lawsuit all in the same sentence, I, I know that's going to go viral, right? I just, I know that's going to happen. Uh, and that's essentially the allegation here. So that, that Bill Belichick hired him and paid him below rate just so that the, that Arkansas couldn't get a, uh, a return of, of their funds. I mean, what do you, do you think there's any truth to that? Well, I, I think that the circumstances line up for you to make that allegation, especially if you're trying to to claw back this $7 million and not pay it out to Brett Bielma as he alleges. So, uh, I mean, the fact is that Bielma and Bill Belichick shared that agent. So there is some overlap there. And, uh, but I think that um, the thing is that the foundation, if you're to take them at their word or basically saying that Brett Bielma had all these opportunities where he could get paid a lot more money and he was like willingly trying to suppress his wages while working for the Patriots rather than taking a division one coaching job or another NFL assistance job, which he ultimately got with the Patriots so that he could get this entire 12 million from the Razorback foundation. And that just doesn't, it doesn't carry water to me. I, I don't see Bill Belichick keeping a guy against his will if he wanted to go take another job. And I don't see Brett Bielma actively trying not to continue his career. He's not an old guy. He's only like 50 or 51 now. So, I mean, what we know about Bill Belichick is, is I'm agreeing with you. It's almost the opposite. He's so quick to cut bait with people, right? He doesn't really have any sense of loyalty to people. So if there's any sniff, if there was any, any semblance of truth, this, he would let him go, right? If there was that, you know, I, I think Bill Belichick is a little... You know, um, obviously cut bait with Antonio Brown very quickly, uh, quicker than I think Tom Brady wanted him to, and maybe part of the reason that Brady is leading the Bucks to the Super Bowl, which which we will get about before we, we get out of here. Um, but yeah, I listen, like I, I don't think Belichick did anything wrong by Bulema deciding to be with his staff. And I if I needed to rehabilitate my image, if I was effing terrible at the University of Arkansas, like and I needed to rehabilitate myself. Let's let's be under Bill Belichick. Let's win a Super Bowl. Let me go to Saban and I'll win a national championship. Like, what better way to rehabilitate your image? And uh, you know, just because I, I love wrestling analogies and I love there's a way to illustrate this point. Um, when the WWF bought WCW back in the day, um, actually, quick shout out. Um, I spoke to Memphis Law School this past week. Uh, I spoke to their Sports Law Society, and I got potentially perhaps the best question I've ever gotten in one of these law school talks. Uh, someone has noticed. Yes, no, it was a great question. Um, someone noticed that I use a lot of wrestling gifs, and I guess they they were not a listener of the podcast to know that I'm just a, a wrestling fan. But they said, um, they said, so you use wrestling gifs? You're a wrestling fan? I said yes. And they go, what impact has wrestling had on your sports law career? Great question. Absolutely a fantastic question because there is any number of ways I can go with this, and there is some semblance of truth to this. Because I think that wrestling, right now, I'm going to get back to the answer, I, I promise. There's a reason I'm getting into it. But wrestling gifs, right, which I love. That's one of my favorite things to do. 
I, I think they, they break down the barriers of like, you know, of sports law, right? Like I think attorneys are a little bit scary to the outside world. I just, I don't know why necessarily, but I think people are intimidated by legal talk. And, you know, when I, when I took sports law in law school, I took it with a great professor, Mark Edelman. Um, Mark is very approachable. He's a different type of professor. Um, other than sports law, my classes were like all legal classes, like very stuffy. And, you know, if you're a professor, you're an academic and blah, blah, blah. And, and Professor Edelman, you know, he's a, a scholar. He writes law review articles across the country. That's just not my personality. My personality is more off the cuff and quick hitting stuff. The wrestling gifs. I think have made me more approachable on Twitter. And uh, so I, I gave him this great question. I'm not going to call him out here, but he knows who he is. It was a fantastic question. And uh, yeah, I think wrestling gifs have uh, kind of helped, uh, you know, get a little bit more engagement on posts and kind of lead to uh, this podcast. So why do I bring up wrestling? A, because I have to bring up wrestling in every podcast, Taryn. That's kind of one of the rules of this podcast. Contractually obligated. Contractually obligated by our, our uh, sponsors that I have to reach out to at some point because there is interest in the show <laughs> that I have to return some of these emails. But um, it is fine. What what uh, I bring it up is just a fun, fun backstory. WWF back in the day bought WCW and WCW was under contract to Turner. Um, I take this back. WCW, their wrestlers had these contracts with... Um, with Turner, uh, with AOL Time Warner, and they were paying them whatever salaries, millions, hundreds of thousands, whatever it was. And Turner had a, basically a deal that said, when these wrestlers sign with another company, their contracts with us are no longer valid. So Turner wanted these wrestlers to go to WWF. They wanted them to go to any number of companies, TNA, uh, go down the line, any, any number of companies, because it would put them off the hook. So some of these, some of these wrestlers had five-year guaranteed contracts, like Sting was one of the most memorable ones. Um, Goldberg, uh, Diamond Dallas Page, and any number of guys who are WCW. And they had literally no contractual incentive to work. They could just get paid and sit at home and make all the money in the world and, and rest up. Other guys made the decision, um, which kind of is like Bilama, hey, I don't want to be completely unknown. I don't want to just sit on my couch. I want to be wrestling in some capacity. So some people took the risk of like, hey, I'm going to go to WWF. I'm going to obviously lose it on my guarantee, but like I'll still stay in the public conscience. And other guys like Sting took a risk, sat on the bench for four years, got healthy, and then came back when maybe their stock was a little bit lower, but they could build it up. So I don't know. You give me those two options. Me personally, if I'm, well, I guess if I'm a wrestler and I'm like beat to shit and I'm 45 years old, like, yeah, I'm fucking sitting on the couch for five years and healing up. Um, so for Bielema's purposes, can, can anyone really fault the guy? If he wants to take a backseat, he doesn't want all the obligations of being a head coach. He just wants to sit in the background, be under Belichick's wing and just collect 12 million on the side from Arkansas. Like, can anybody fault that? Like, there's nothing illegal about what he did. That's just a really bad contract that Arkansas wrote. Yeah. But, you know, why do people take internships and stuff like that? Like, I, you know, I'm applying for those jobs right now. Why do people do jobs like that? It's so that you can learn from successful organizations. You need to learn how these places are run. And nobody's been run better than the Patriots. I mean, like every single year for the last two decades, they've been in the thick of things. They've been to nine Super Bowls during that time. And they were in two before that. It's... um I, 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 that's just a good job. Same thing as like going to Alabama, like you learn how to win. And so we'll see, maybe Brett Bielema is able to turn around his career as a result, but he's not the first guy to do something like this. And he certainly won't be the last. Yeah. Um, so I, we can put a pin in that. I think it's an interesting case, but obviously one to monitor. So 
we we talked about the Patriots. Um, Patriots are, are not we're not in the Final Four. They were not in the playoffs. Um, but uh, we do have two teams. Uh, I guess we'll talk about it. Um, you know, Buffalo Bills. Uh, I I was a I was a little surprised. I mean, I, I love it. I had a lot of people like sending me their version of condolences on Sunday night, Monday morning. You know, people that don't really ever like uh, that. I don't really engage with it all on Twitter and saying I was rooting for you and blah 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 blah. So, I thought that was really cool and really special. So, shout out to anybody that. Uh, was thinking of me when they're rooting for the games. Um, yeah, and, and shout out to Bill's Mafia also. Being yeah. there in the freezing cold at 3 a.m. to welcome the team back from uh, from Kansas City and all that they do in the community and all that they did for Josh Allen in honor of his grandmother uh, at that at that children's hospital. I, I just uh, that it's a really special group of fans and I couldn't be happier as like a third party observer to see them finally get the success that they deserve. Yeah. It's um, so, you know, I, I haven't told the story before, but my dad, uh, we are, we are Bills fans. People think I'm a Bills fan because I went to school in uh, Schenectady, which is, which is did go to school in Schenectady, but I've been a Bills fan since I was like I don't know, one, two, my dad uh, who grew up in Long Island was a, uh, I don't know, you inherit whatever teams your, your parents root for. So my dad grew up as a Bills fan, and I asked him, why did, why did you like the Bills? We have no connection to Buffalo at all. And uh, he goes, well, when you're younger, you just have stupid reasons. And he goes, uh, the Buffalo Bills, uh, you know, my older brother was named Bill, and there was a team named the Buffalo Bills, so I rooted for them. And I'm like, Dad, that's the dumbest reason that anyone's ever had for rooting for a team. And uh, it's a really, really terrible reason. No, but- that's adorable. Terrible, horrible, one of the two. Adorable, adorable. I know what you're. I know what you're saying. No. But not <laughs> it's terrible or horrible. Um, <laughs> but when I was, you know, when I was younger. I mean, the Bills made four consecutive Super Bowls. So I, I told this. I was telling some of the story that, like, I just got used to, like, oh, yeah, like our favorite team is in the Super Bowl every year. So when I was like, you know, literally like two, three, four, five, however old I was, and that you know, from '91 to '94, we just like that was it. And then as I grew older, you know, we had the, uh, you know, Rob Johnson era, the Doug Flutie era, the JP Lozman era, uh, you know, some pretty bad eras of football. Um, you know, Cardell Jones so. a little bit, EJ Manuel, we had some really bad quarterbacks. So it'd been 28 long years before the bills that made it back to the AFC conference game. So listen, it's a win. There's obviously a new era in Buffalo with Josh Allen, but brutal, brutal loss. And let me ask you, Taryn, what are your thoughts on this field goal business? I don't remember this being this many weird field goal decisions uh, in a playoffs of this magnitude. I just, I just don't remember it. Uh, yeah. I think that both the teams that lost played a little bit scared. And um, I, yeah, I, I think that that, that field goal, it's fine. The 31 26 field goal, but you got to know that you're giving the ball back to Tom Brady, who has closed out so many of these types of games and, you know, they, they ran the ball well enough. They made the plays that they needed to make. And I mean, the, the pass interference that ultimately ended the game, that was the right call. Uh, that was uh, my, uh, my favorite gopher legend there. Uh, Tyler Johnson drew that flag, but his shirt was getting pulled. It was so clear. It was too obvious for the referees not to call. I just think that you give Aaron Rodgers a chance. Now, in defense of LaFleur, it was a long fourth down. I, I think it was fourth and eight. And he, Aaron Rodgers, could have 
run on third down, which would have made it shorter. Matt LaFleur, uh, any relation to Peter LaFleur? <laughs> With your losers in Las Vegas, LaFleur. Uh, <laughs> his brother just got hired Dodgeball as the... Anyone, uh, not catching the reference. Dodgeball. His Great brother, point. Matt LaFleur's brother, just got hired by Rob Sala as the um, OC in New York. So maybe he's in charge of Sam Darnold's fifth year or fourth year in the league. Well, we know that Adam Gase, and I made that joke online, uh, you know, he, he admitted that he did not develop Sam Darnold. So hopefully um, uh, or anybody, anybody can do a better job. Um, yeah, I, I think the, you know, to your point, I, I think the, the Bills as much as you know, I just, I feel bad. I feel bad in saying anything slanderous about uh, McDermott and the job he did in Buffalo. But, you know, when you have, and again, I, I had a lot of, had a lot of money on the Bills futures making the Super Bowl. I, I, <laughs> This is, I guess, a betting podcast to some extent. Like the book said, so I had I had money on Bills Buck Super Bowl twenty seven to one. I'll give my dad all the credit in the world for finding that. Whoa! And we got really lucky that the Bills were the night game. So I knew, you know, I, I had a chance to hedge once the Bucks won the game. So people can yell at me, but I listen. I play the book. The book said I had to bet on the Chiefs to to middle and make a little bit of money, which I did. So I wasn't completely crushed. Um, but we had a lot of money on Bills winning the Super Bowl too. So I, I lost that, but you know, they made a little bit. Um, but yeah, when the Bills were up by nine, um, I always checked the Chiefs game because I remember last year when the Chiefs were down 21 to the Texans and they came back and I looked <laughs> nine, nothing, right. The yeah. Bills with Josh Allen, nine, nothing. They have the ball, right. Like they should win the game. I looked at the odds. Minus 105 for the Chiefs. So they were still a favorite to win the game. And I don't think that, you know, we know what happened after that. And I think part of that is the Bills not being aggressive enough. I know they they kicked two yeah, field yeah. goals inside the 10. You just like I don't understand the logic of doing that. Like you get one shot at this. You've worked so hard 28 years to get back to this game. Why are you kicking field goals? Why are you kicking field goals in Green Bay when you're down eight? Like in what world did that make sense? So I don't know. I just, I, I can't, I can't really understand it other than just like people just, you know, like, and then, and then like, meanwhile, like a week before that, right. Andy Reid made one of the gutsiest play calls I've ever seen in a game, like going for it on fourth down with that chase Daniel. Like it's five, there's five seconds left on the clock. Chad Henney, yeah. What did I say? Chase Daniel. Yeah. The other career backup guy, the other career backup on the Kansas city chiefs. Right. Uh, yeah, he was at some point. The other, the other white backup quarterback that, you know, never plays at all until they get started to action. Yes, but Chad Henney of Michigan fame, right? Am I crazy? Yep. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Anything else about the playoffs? Because I, I have something for you separately. Yeah, no, I, I'm just really excited about the Super Bowl. It's very cool that we're going to get to see Brady go for number seven. I, Ten Super Bowls. That's, like, unbelievable. And you saw some of the stats that are just, like, ridiculous. He's now beaten number one seeds on the road five times. Peyton Manning never did that. Joe Montana did it once, uh, 10 Super Bowls. So that means that he's like statistically as likely to have gone to a Super Bowl in his career at, or more likely than Steph Curry is of hitting a three pointer. I saw that. I did love it. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's just, it's unbelievable to see him do what he's doing. He's the greatest quarterback that, that we've had in our lifetimes. And, uh, and Mahomes is really like one of the few guys that I think will have a chance to beat him to actually get six or more Super Bowl wins because 
I think he's what, like 24, 25 now. And this is number two. So if he were to win this one, I, with the system that they have in place and, and the great job that they do in player personnel, the good coaching, I think that it's a really exciting Super Bowl. I don't, I don't want to get carved for the horse. Mahomes is playing in his second Super Bowl. What Brady is doing is unmatched on any level. Ten Super Bowls. I think there's some crazy stat that Brady has 33 playoff wins and, like, the next closest guy has, like, half of that. So Brady, when I grew up, um, you know, it wasn't that long ago. I'm not a complete dinosaur, but the only one that was like that in any sport, at least when I was growing up in you know, the 80s, Michael Jordan kind of became that. It's like, okay, he's the GOAT. He's the greatest. There's no conversation. Um, but Wayne Gretzky was really like that. He just had all the records by so far. It was like, okay, maybe there's a conversation who's better, Will Chamberlain or Michael Jordan, right? Because it's, you know, it's potato apple or Bill Russell, Michael Jordan. Russell has more titles, but Jordan's better, whatever. Wayne Gretzky was just like, there was no comparison. You just looked on paper and it was just like, you couldn't make any comparison. He was just clearly, clearly the best. Um, there was no like, you know, LeBron or Jordan or like, there's no conversation. It was just Gretzky was the best. Brady is approaching that level of just like, it's not even he's the best quarterback. He's just by far the best player in the sport. And then I'll go one further. I I think that Brady might just be like the best, like overall in any of our major sports. Like he's just on such another level in terms of winning. I mean, he's at that Gretzky level, but obviously football is a little bit thought higher more in our culture than, than hockey. So I don't know if Brady's, the top guy in football and there's no one really close, right? Like, does it just make him like the best I don't know, sportsman in our country's history? Like, is that, is that on the table? Yeah. At least in the major sports, I think. And then uh, if you're talking about non-major sports, then Michael Phelps is, is right there. And Lewis Hamilton. Nah, he's in like, he's in the conversation. Okay. So, um, you know, we, we did this last week. I got some good feedback. Um, what to watch for. Uh, I'll give you mine. Cause I'm, I know I'm putting you on the spot. Um, my uh, father-in-law, told me about the show Ted Lasso on Apple Plus. It's basically Jason Sudeikis is a, uh, I think he's a football American. He's a college, he's a coach at Wichita State. And uh, he's a football coach. He's never coached soccer in his life at any level. And he gets hired to run a Premier League team. I'd never heard of it. I'm a big fan of Jason Sudeikis. I'm a big fan of all sports shows. I just never heard of the show, which was uh, strange to me in hindsight. But he's basically a fish out of water in, you know, in the Premier League in England, and he's learning how to coach soccer in a band of misfits team. So it's kind of like Bad News Bears. Uh, I don't know, it's really, really well done. Um, you know, Apple Plus, uh, you know, I don't know, Apple TV. It's a, it's a good deal. I mean, we have the the hardware box, so we've always had it. I just never, never thought to use it. But um, yeah, Ted Lasso. Uh, if anyone, if anyone has Apple TV, I would highly, highly recommend. It's very funny. I'll have to check that out. Um, I think I mentioned to you that I'm currently rewatching It's Always Sunny. It's all on Hulu, and that is uh, it's just great, timeless comedy. Um, one thing that I'm looking forward to watching, uh, there's a great book by Arvin Adiga. It's called uh, White Tiger. It won the Booker Prize in 2008, and um, they just recently released a movie on Netflix, so I'm going to watch that with my mom. Pretty excited about that. What's your favorite Always Sunny episode? Uh, Nightman Cometh. I was going to say that. Yeah. Dayman. Fighter of the night, man. Champion of the sun. If anyone has sun, no sun. idea what you're about, the best episode. Just watch that one episode of Sunny. Master of karate and friendship for everyone. 
on that note, we'll put this episode <laughs> in the book, the very silly episode that we're recording at 11.53 on Wednesday night. Taryn, I uh, had a long week interviewing and uh, I had a long week with a couple depositions. So we are now uh, in the clear as we head to Thursday and Friday. Um, for myself, Dan Wallach, Mike Lawson, Taryn Charma, uh, yeah, we could do all the, all the social media, but you know where we're at. Um, that being said, we will see you next week on another episode of Conduct Detrimental. We'll see you then.